Welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, presented by Roast House Pub and Idiom Brewing Company in Frederick, Maryland, as well as Havoc Brew Supply, the one-stop shop for all of your brewery's needs. Check them out at hophavoc.com. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and today I'm joined by Max Lentz, the CEO and founder, well, co-founder. You have other other founders, even though Eli refuses to talk more than, I think he gave us a couple seconds during that that one episode <laughs> of Baltimore Spirits Company. Thanks for coming out, Max. My pleasure. Thanks for having me back, Chris. Is that your? Is this your first time recording here? No, the first time you were on, you were here, and then I we did one at the distillery. That's when we got we were able to convince Eli to say a few words. We did do one in the distillery. I think I've done two here. Okay. Yes, you're right. The one was like I think right before the world shut down. It sounds sounds about right. Yeah, and I think I told you if I, we were working on the new the new tasting room wasn't even it wasn't it hadn't been yeah, no conceived you, of it had been you talked about it as like it was going to happen and like it, I don't even think construction had started yet. Yeah, must must not have because we didn't really know we could pull it off until post COVID because it was actually uh, hand sanitizer money that funded it. That that too bad that gravy train ended, huh? You know, it was a three-month... I was talking about this yesterday, weirdly enough. It was like three months maximum, maybe maybe two. Um, and it, it the demand couldn't have been higher, and we weren't able to make any because you couldn't get materials. Yeah, uh, That's why the, we sold hand sanitizer by the end of it in four different ways. In full totes, so 250-gallon, you know, plastic boxes, uh, snow cone pumps, milk jugs, and mustard bottles. <laughs> And those are the only; those are the four kinds of vessels we were able to track down during these couple of months, where it was crazy. And when we got into it, it was mostly just to help. Though I mean, there was people were begging us to do it, and we didn't. You know, there was a people were making it in weird ways, and people were price gouging in different places across yeah. the country. Uh, but we didn't. We sold everything for pre, you know, pre-COVID bulk pricing, uh, mostly to hospitals, the National Guard, and the state of Maryland. Um, so, but it was, the demand was, uh, we couldn't meet it. I would take a hundred calls a day, populate a spreadsheet of who was looking for what from a hairdresser looking for a gallon to a hospital looking for 250 to the yeah. national guard who was like, we'll take a thousand gallons a month. Um, and then when we finally got materials, I just worked my way down the list, called people and started reserving stuff. Uh, it was wild. Uh, it was the most money we've ever made in two months, but it was yeah, incredibly sure difficult. Lived. And, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go back there. And once the pharmaceutical companies caught up, it was over. I mean, just w- one week we sold a thousand gallons to the National Guard. The next week we we never sold another one. And because uh, there were, there were other like the like really large oh, distilleries that started pumping it out too, right? That was a big thing. Like places you would buy neutral neutral spirits from, like right. places that distillery small distilleries would buy neutral spirits from started totally. pumping it out. And we we didn't have a sophisticated set up to where we could like make it gelatinous. It was all the very liquid. I yeah, mean, it was literally just functional like jungle sanitizer. We, you know? we had sourced all of ours here from McClintock mm-hmm. and it was made the exact same way. Cause what was it? Uh, was it glycerin? That glycerin, was used to hydrogen sur- peroxide and, and <clears throat> yeah. Cause n- n- the, the, they couldn't get their hands on any of that too. So we just had spray bottles everywhere. Yep. <laughs> it was yep. like hairstyling spray bottles to, yeah. to spray the hands. And then we learned that it made no difference. And, what a time to be alive. And then we just all had dry hands and it really didn't. 
move the needle <laughs> at all. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do we get there so quickly? Uh, so why don't we give a little quick backstory of uh, Baltimore Spirits Company, formerly Baltimore Whiskey Company. That was right. That's so, right. Okay. Yep. When, for some reason, I had a question mark in my head after I said that. Uh, when did you first open? We opened in 2015 is when we opened our doors and started distilling, started working on the project in 2013. And you are on your second and current location? Correct. In the um, union complex? What's the, the, the union collective. So we That's share our building with Union Brewing, the wine collective, uh, the Charmeries ice cream space, Vent Coffee Roasters, uh, Movement, the Climbing Gym. Uh, some furniture makers. Now the Baltimore Music Company has moved in there. It's a guitar shop, uh, oh, repair shop, cool. and like a you know place to go buy guitars. Um, uh, Hopkins has some kind of office planning space stuff in there. Uh, it's a good group and a huge complex. Yeah, well, it was a Sears warehouse originally. Or? Sears in the 1950s, okay. when like your whole home would have been bought from the Sears yeah. catalog. So if you needed a new couch, or your washing machine broke, or you needed a lawnmower, are you blade, old enough to remember Sears catalogs? Uh, no, I I am. I remember. I remember like, sharper image catalogs. I, yeah, that's I where I am from. But no, I remember as a kid, like going through the Sears catalog and telling my parents everything that I wanted that I wasn't going to get. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, hell, like one time you could order an actual entire house yeah. from the, Come on the a truck. Sears catalog. Mm -hmm. And now they're bankrupt and closed. <clears throat> yeah. One of the weird American, <laughs> that's like there's this whole generation of American, you know, giant big box yeah. companies that were. That, uh, that's an interesting. We should probably go back to just talking about your company. Uh, but like the decline of Sears is actually an interesting study in mismanagement and uh, investment bankers gutting a company. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, just like you look into it, it's actually a pretty interesting story of what happened to the demise of Sears and then also Kmart. Tempted to just drag it out of you for the next hour and have that turn into this podcast. It would, I mean, I would be making a lot of it up because I've watched that that study a while ago. So it had to do with like footnote needed. After yeah, like every, yeah. selling off real estate and ju like just doing everything to extract as much value out of it without like wanting to the business to actually succeed in the long term was the is the TLDR. So there you go. <laughs> um. The, your knowledge may vary on the facts of that. <laughs> uh, so then also, is it, I, I haven't been to the newest edition. Is that, that's not like a continuous space to the distillery, right? Where your cocktail, cocktail lounge is? Hallway connected. Okay. So you don't have to go outside, but we have since we last spoke on the record, uh, opened a new cocktail room called the Cocktail Gallery. So our tasting like area, it's nice. It's like a, it's a level of fanciness to it. We, you know, that's just who we are. Uh, it is kind of a combination art gallery and tasting room. And we wanted it to be kind of our literal physical connection to the creative community in Baltimore. So we always have uh, art hanging on the walls, sometimes local, most of the time local, and sometimes some traveling artists. We get to do 
various kinds of shows in there between music and exhibitions and things like that. We've had some talks. The comptroller came through and did this great talk about women in business with this panel. Uh, we've, we've done some really wonderful programming in there, which is something we, we've never been able to do in-house before. Uh, and of course, our drinks program is incredibly elevated. Uh, and we have a lot of non-market spirits that we get to do there in limited release. We still do tastings and education and all that good stuff. But uh, in the evening, we get to do full cocktail service, which is really wonderful. Only using our spirits. But as you know, we have a very broad breadth of spirits. Yeah, I mean, there's not, I don't, is there even a cocktail you couldn't make with? There's, there's also sorts of stuff. I mean, we, we can't use vermouth. So, okay. So we're, there are, there are limitations, but, uh, you know, they didn't think about restriction is uh, breeds creativity. So we've got a, a really eclectic cocktail list that's really great. Shout but there, out there to are ve- there are very few spirits that you can't plug something you make in. Yeah, as we a, do. We do a lot of, uh, of a lot of substitution, which changes character, but but the balance is often the same. And we have to like tweak some things to make it work. But really fun, uh, connected. We used to do our tastings in the distillery, but now that we have a separate space, it's all licensed. We get to um, have a little more fun there. So. That's been that's been awesome. I, <clears throat> as I was telling you before we started recording, that I've I, I drink way more spirits now than beer, um, and I've settled on loving an old fashioned. And that's if it's not just a, a glass of uh, whiskey, usually rye. I love rye whiskey, so we'll definitely talk about your rye a lot. Um, on the rocks, I make myself an old fashioned and I'm excited cause I get to write an article for the Frederick news post up coming to f- my journey to find the best old fashioned in Frederick. Nice. So if, uh, are you going to spoil it on this podcast? I haven't tried. I haven't tried. Oh, you haven't yet. gone it. Okay. No, so you still have your, the road. Trip, I mean, so I have my suspicions of who, who it's going to be, but I also feel like that's the kind of drink. Like if you have a bartender that just likes them. Like it could be any restaurant and like that bartender is going to make it amazing. And they're not, uh, they don't (laughs) have to be complicated. They could be elevated. But at some point, if you change too much, you're you're very distinctly not making an old fashioned. You should take a, I'm I'm officially opening, opening up the comments on this to having people nominate their, their local Frederick bars. Yeah, I was going to say, put it in the comments, people. Yeah, or send me a note or I'm, I'm also going to do the, you know, typical Facebook thing of asking for of <laughs> specifically course. for uh, nominations. So I'm going to pick like eight to 10 people and eight to 10 places in Frederick. And then I'll go there and try them all and grade them based on the whiskey they use, the type of syrup they use, the type of bitters they use. If they don't use Luxardo cherries, they may just be disqualified. <laughs> sure, uh, you yeah, know, things no like bright red cherries for you. <laughs> Although I went to, um, what's the name of that casino out your way? Live. Live. Stupidest name ever for a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got an old fashioned there because I went to see Dropkick Murphy's and my wife bought my brother-in-law and I like the their fancy pass thing where it came with two drinks. Um, and they used bright red, the, the maraschino, the stems. Yep. There was, there was still stuff, but it was still an amazing, uh, there you go. Um, amazing old fashioned. There's a very, very well respected cocktail bar in Baltimore that is now trying to bring back the bright red maraschino, oh, really? like a kind of a better version of it. Um, which is really cool. I'm not sure they want the shout out exactly for that. So I'll keep it to me, but they're, they're doing, they're doing great work. That seems like it would be a struggle to, I mean, they present very well. 
but I mean, I'm a Luxardo to go myself. So we, we don't have anything to argue about there. Yeah. The, I you stick a cocktail spoon worth of the syrup into there. Oh, Best. It's like heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think an- another thing you introduced, I think it was along the same time as the cocktail gallery, your tours is an awesome uh, way of approaching it. So I'll let you yeah. describe it so I don't get any details wrong. I think we, wrong. we could have done three three separate podcasts since we last did one about this stuff because um, they're all huge moments in our um, in our company and kind of how it's organized and what we're trying to offer and, and kind of elevating that. Um, but when we opened the new tasting room, we also, that's kind of the first time we reopened post the COVID shutdown and really welcomed visitors in as a group. So we hadn't done tastings since, and we had room physically removed the old bar from the distillery and essentially replaced it with a whole lot of whiskey barrels. Um, so when the new cocktail room opened was the first time we had visitors and we hadn't done tours since March of 2020. And we used to do free tours. Uh, we did from the original distillery every weekend we'd be there. And if you showed up on the hour between, you know, I think it was noon and five, uh, we'd walk you around to talk to you a little bit. Some were long, some were short, depended on the group, but pretty loose. Um, and we did that for five years. Um, and that's just not how we wanted to reopen. We wanted to offer something uh, greater, more deliberate, and something that kind of nobody else was doing, some, something that we got to do something pretty unique. Is so, there a big culture around that, of this of touring distilleries? Yeah. Like just I think, kind of now. I think it's kind of where beer brewing was 10 years ago, where you'd okay. go and you'd do the tour. And a lot of people yeah. don't bother with the brewing tours anymore. And I think a lot of breweries quit doing them because – People have seen it. They, oh, and, at this point, they want the tasting room. They just want to go yeah, work their way through the list, either do flights or pints. And in most and have a breweries you're going to go to now, you can see the entire production facility. Big glass from, wall. It's not like that whole going thing. to. I'm sure like there's still plenty of people who go to Trogues to take a tour, but your average yeah. smaller craft brewery, there's really nothing to tour. Not a ton <laughs> to see. And right. It, they're probably finding their story elsewhere. But then with like distilling, there's there's much less base knowledge, I feel like. Less base so, knowledge, less um, less like homogeny in terms of what the production is going to look like and what sort of equipment they use. And also... Yeah, that's the, a big thing too because there's plenty of questions to ask that. Like if you've gone to one there, distillery, they're going to the, be set up almost completely different than another one that you go to. Yes, as well as the kind of the product in the bottle being defined by the equipment that's being used in a lot of ways. Yeah. So you're going to learn a lot about what to expect in their kind of in the bottle by seeing the production. So I think even for people that really understand distilling, I love to tour distilleries. I want to see how people are doing it um, because it, it matters a lot to how they kind of conceived of their production and what they want to focus on. And that's going to reflect in their product too. So, uh, so yeah, there, there is more of that, but we didn't just want to welcome people back and and do the free tour. So we, we spent, I spent a year working on this kind of concept. We did have a little bit of downtime. I I had some downtime. Yeah. (laughs) And this is, it really was my main project during the year we were closed and, and didn't really have customers in the space was to reconceive the tour and what came out of it has been very popular um, and something that we will will continue to do for a long time, I hope, which is our blend your own whiskey tour. So we now run six sessions a week. It takes about two hours. Uh, it's all pre-ticketed by tickets through the website. Um, and I think it's a great value. Oh, it's yeah, it's 55 bucks and there's some fees through the booking site and stuff. So um, 
So it's not it's not a five dollar tour, <laughs> but you're getting a lot. So you yeah you get a a, a really solid twenty minute history of rye whiskey um, that's well presented and well researched. That also talks about how Maryland relates to the history of rye whiskey, and it used to be, you know, the de facto most sought-after spirit in the United States for about 50 years and one of the great rye-producing states for, um, you know, over 100. Um, so we get to, like, go through all that history, then do a full-fledged 25-minute distillery tour where we talk about process, look at the equipment, go see all the barrels, talk about the aging process. And then you get to taste four distillery-exclusive versions of Epic Rye, so a three-year 100-proof, and then, and that's a single barrel typically, and then three different barrel finishes. So, and the barrel finishes come in and out as we deplete them. So right now, I think we've got a stout barrel finish, um, a sherry barrel finish, and a Jamaican rum finish. And none of those have ever been released to the public. The only place to taste them is on the tour. And after you taste the four, you get to act as if you're a master blender and you get to, you know, we've got eyedroppers and empty glasses. Yeah. And you get to blend them together how you would if you were trying to create your kind of dream whiskey out of what's available. And then we'll actually blend that exact blend for you in a bottle. And you get to leave with a, a little 375 uh, version of your own custom Epic Rye uh, blend. Which is so cool. It's super cool. Um, all the whiskeys are great. Some people go in there and just get 100% sherry. Some people get really <laughs> nuanced and they want 5% of this and 15 of that. Do you do you sell bottled, bottles of those at all or are those purely just for the blending experience? Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, are one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. More or less just for the blending experience, we have released a distiller's blend where Eli takes his best crack at it as the actual professional. <laughs> and um, and he's like, oh, if I were doing this, this yeah. is my best balanced version that speaks to my palate. Um, we don't think there's a right or wrong blend, really, but it's well, nice I mean, to offer just like own, the um, the sherry barrel finished or the or the is there only enough of it to be able to feed the like blending experience? There's been some overlap where we've done a post-epic release of a, a finish that we're also using in the blend okay. your own. But the blend your own finishes are all uh, first barrel two years and an extra single year in the finishing barrel, whereas the post-epics we've been releasing for the last two years, I think, have all been four so and in 750. So different price proposition and, and everything. I still have a maple post-epic that I that need was to a, drink. Yeah, that was a double gold medal winner at San Francisco. <clears throat> I... um. For the longest time, basically just collected bottles of spirits. It's only in the last 
that w- that was one of my my New Year's resolutions are things like I'm going to drink more spirits this year. <laughs> and that but that was like li- one of my goals for 2023 was to get into spirits, learn more about spirits, and it's great. You know, it's it's really rewarding. Um, <clears throat> the sensory experience of it's rewarding as you get better and you you get you kind of start to taste more nuance. The spirits start delivering more and more yeah. to you as opposed to, I think in beer, you can, you can wear yourself out on IPAs and then you just can't get into anything bitter. And that hasn't happened to me. I still, I still love IPAs as kind of my go-to. Um, I'm very, very basic like that in the beer world. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but, but spirits kind of just get more and more interesting as you get your palate adjust to the strength of it all. Uh, so yeah. Hopefully, and there's just so many cool things that you guys are doing to change even what you are used to change it up, like finishing a rye whiskey and a, and a maple syrup barrel. (laughs) That stuff, that stuff's been very fun. Um, yeah. So I would, I would venture to guess like people absolutely love that experience. Like I, I just picture a room full of people smiling. (laughs) <laughs> the response is great. And, you know, the Wednesday afternoon tour, it's usually only a handful of people. So it's kind of very small and personal and, yeah. and that has its own charm to it. And then on Saturday, uh, the early tour has 20 people in it and it's sold out and there's just chatter and laughing and having fun. And that has kind of a very different um, social vibe to it. Yeah. And you get to hang out in a very cool room. Uh, the cocktail gallery, which we mentioned before, just design wise is a lot of fun. It's a fun place to be in. Uh, it also, it all starts with a welcome cocktail. So you, the first thing you do when you get there is get a drink in your hand and you get to like sip on something during the history portion. So like, that's what I mean. Like the, yeah. it, it's a great There's value. A, you get a lot. You get a lot. <laughs> do you find, is it more like a, like seasoned whiskey aficionados doing that? Or is it just across the board? Like the beginner drinker that wants to learn to. It's both. Uh, we, we, there are people from out of state who visit distilleries all over the world who come in and do it and have a great time. And then there's a bachelorette party table of six who has never had whiskey before in their lives and, and has no idea what, what to do. And, and everyone has a blast. So uh, in general, feedback is positive uh, across the board. It took us a while to dial it in. It's a, it's a big lift. Each tour requires attention and personnel and enthusiasm. And, you know, we do have to guide people. It's easy to take for granted as people who live in the whiskey world it's and hard to look outside of your bone bubble right often. so we have to like make sure we're making it accessible for people who are coming in with a very different relationship yeah. with whiskey than we are um but it's a but we we really have it down now and we've got a couple of guides who are really fantastic and and most of the tours are led by you know management team or owners so it's like people high level in the company who know the answers to the questions yeah. and and really um are part of our part of our kind of bone structure, which is awesome. I would venture to guess that yours is really good. You're somewhat of a showman. So I, I would. <laughs> um, I do. I, you know, even if I'm kind of in there and I'm not supposed to be running the tour, I'm just there you for support. Sometimes it. I'm just like, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to do, I'm going to do the history this time. I'm gonna get out there on stage. It's the power of the mustache. Oh yeah. Uh, it keeps eyes. You know, I'm always having to be like, Hey, my eyes are up here. <laughs> the, the mustache really seems to be making a comeback in 2023. There's a lot of people in the, the alcohol world that are rocking epic mustache. Just the world. I don't know what it's like out here in Frederick, but in Baltimore city, um, you know, I like to think I was on the tip of the iceberg, much like having a, a whiskey distillery in Maryland. Like we were one of the absolute first, 
and then all of a sudden now there's 40, you know, yeah. the same way I really, distilleries in Maryland? in Maryland, yeah, it's wild. I, it's true. Every time I look on the Maryland Distillers Guild website at the list of them, I'm like, wow, I'd, there are ones in Frederick that have been open that I hadn't even heard of before yeah. the, like just learned of. Um, it's wild. Uh, distillery in every household, you know. <laughs> But it's, it's great. Um, but I like to think in the same way that we were innovators and leaders of our distilling industry, I was an innovator and leader in the mustache trend of and Baltimore every, in 2020. Everyone's just following Max. I'm two year, I'm almost two years into the mustache. Here. <laughs> um, so as much Old as I... hat at this point. It makes me feel a little weird about it. That it, Now it feels like I'm just part of a trend. It's fine. I, I don't think I could pull off just a mustache. You know, I shaved it. I was just going to have it for one day as a joke. And then I just kept looking at myself in the mirror being like, you know what? This is too good to get rid I'm of. Like, maybe one more day. <laughs> and every day I wake up and I'm like, maybe one more day. <laughs> I, um, I, when my oldest was like three or four, probably three, because she was, I had put her down for a nap and then I went in to the barber to get a haircut and I had them straight and razor me and Actually, my wife at that point had never seen me without a beard. And I came home, and she was just waking up, just completely clean shaven. Yeah. She looked at me, yelled no, and started crying. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. It's like Darth Vader waking up. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so what I'm saying is don't shave it. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it for your children. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my children will saying. be upset yeah. if you shave off well, your mustache. Point taken. So you don't do you haven't done a bourbon, right? You've, we so, have we've released have a bourbon a okay. handful of times. We're a rye whiskey distillery yeah. at heart, and um, oh, I do remember one of them. But we yeah, one a lot, of the releases uh, yeah. pretty recently, and we still have a few bottles in <coughs> stock now. Uh, we did a three year cast strength bourbon, which is that's, our first that's three the one year I first cast strength. Next year we'll release a four year, which I'm I'm very excited about because that's kind of my my designated want, want to have age for bourbon. Um, now, I would assume you hope, but do you think that rye whiskey will get to the level of uh, being sought after the same way that bourbon has in the last five or so years? I think as a the genre as a whole, splitting the pie even with bourbon would be a lot. And I'm not sure it's going to get there, but I it is growing faster. I mean, all the all the market data says yeah. that rye whiskey is taking a bigger and bigger chunk, and it should. Um, I, don't I think, prefer rye. I don't think there's any reason it should And shouldn't. I don't know if that's because I, like, that is what I started drinking, getting into spirits before I drank bourbon. I, I was being introduced to rye whiskey, so I don't know if that leads into it or if it's just better. <laughs> we'll just say it's better. Yeah, I mean, we've put, we've put bourbon out, so it's hard for me to just... <laughs> to be like it's not good. Uh, but rye, I do think rye is more interesting by nature in the fact that bourbon is 51 or more percent corn sugar, and that's just not that interesting. Yeah. So it does, it ages very well. It takes on barrel characteristics very well. But for us, at the end of the day, the grain rye has a lot more character, nuance, and depth than corn does. Um now, rye typically you don't age as longer, right? Is that accurate or is that it's wrong? A, uh, I'd say it's it's neither. Um, okay. I would say young rye is a more viable spirit than young bourbon. Okay, yeah, exactly. Corn really needs to age God, out. I've had some like 
really young and tastes like they yeah. kind of just splashed it around um, in a barrel. Yeah. And there's like nothing there. <laughs> so the corn, the corn really does need to age out for bourbon. And in my opinion, to be, um, a great spirit. So I do think you need to make sure you enter into an age bracket where, where that's reflected in the spirit. Whereas the rye distillate is, is more interesting and in having some of that bready rye spice character of a young, bright rye yeah. that also can be very fruity is super viable on the market as a great spirit. So we have our two year rye, um, and that's not going anywhere, even though we've just released what we consider the flagship, uh, version of our rye whiskey, which is Epic reserve. Um, but you also see very famous, you know, Sazerac 18, for instance, one of the most sought after rye whiskeys in the world is 18 years old. Um, so it's not, it's not lost anything by that. You still have the opportunity to get it as old as, as really anything. A lot of, <clears throat> a lot of the bourbons even that I've had the chance to do like a vertical kind of, I tend to like the younger version better than the, really when you get old. up into like, yeah, into the 18 or. A lot of times, Even sometimes fifteens. I don't. I don't like them as much. It can be the same with Scotch, although Scotch, Scotch just, is just, just disgusting. Push the ages up higher, but a lot of people think that really old whiskey. So for American stuff in in new new barrels, new cooperage that we're talking about anything over twelve years old, and Scotch maybe it's anything over twenty or twenty five. Um, that you're tasting it more for the in the science and how interesting it becomes when it starts pulling some like really crazy stuff out of the wood and developing some like really unexpected notes versus pure enjoyment um, tends to be something that that does have a bell curve to it where the peak okay, is yeah. maybe an American whiskey maybe in that like four to nine range might be like that kind of standard deviation on the bell curve Do if you you're like a Scott? statistics guy um yeah, sorry, sorry to disappoint. I'm, I adore Scotch. I love it, that's and a lot disgusting. of our a lot of our kind of production methodology mimics Scotch production. Part of that's because of the history of rye whiskey. Yeah. And the original rye producers were Scotch and Irish. Mine farmers. just based purely. On, I can't stand the peat. The peat. Yeah, yeah, the peat. It's a polarizing note, which I understand. You should get get some unpeated single malts in. I've, I mean, I've tried. What, I, I can never. There's the Highlands, and there's like the is Isley uh, uh, Isla Isla is a, that's the real peaty that, stuff. Yeah, typically, so the so. Highlands is the one that more balanced. Yeah, so I've had some of those that were okay, but they're still. I'm gonna stick to America. Hey, there you go. And you're just, <laughs> you know, you've just made your New Year's resolution to drink yeah. more spirits. So maybe you'll maybe you'll get there. It's always nice to have one thing you haven't come around to yet. It's like I haven't watched Breaking Bad, you know. So I know I always have yeah. that in my pocket. If I ever if I ever get there, I can so, try I can try and get into a whole so eight now, years worth of stuff. So now though, do uh, do you continue to not watch it so you can just be that person that says that they've never seen it or no, there's no, nothing never... nothing hipster about it exactly. Okay. Um I mean, I definitely have those things where I just continue like I've decided it's been so long I'm just never going to watch I've never watched a Godfather movie. I've never watched anything Star Trek. I've never watched the show, oh movie, anything. So at this point, I I just don't so it, it's part, get, it's part of my it. per, it's part of me now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think if I have anything like that. I'm sure something will pop in my head later. So I'll interrupt you in, yeah. in 15 minutes. God, Godfather know. is usually the most shocking one. There's also a bunch of like uh, like for my age, 80s movies that I haven't seen that people are shocked by. Like I think Romancing the Stone. I've seen that. Um, I don't think I've ever seen Fast Times at Rid Ridgemont High. Like though that that genre of movies, yeah, teen teen movies from the yeah. 80s. What was that guy's name? Um, 
Eh, who, who cares? <laughs> um, I I toured the uh, Jameson Distillery when I was in Ireland, and they have. And this was before I did. I didn't like. Actually, I don't even. No, I was drinking then because I definitely drank a lot of Guinness while I was there. Because uh, I had like a ten year period where I didn't drink at all. Uh, and then I met my wife. We got married, and then I started drinking, which is a joke between me and my brother-in-law because he didn't drink before he met, <laughs> before he got married to my wife's sister, I, and then started drinking. I know someone who didn't drink, met their wife, and then became a professional brewer within <laughs> a few years. Yeah, so maybe there's some there's some correlation. Uh, and they they end the tour with a whiskey tasting, and it's the the different kinds. So they have. Um, Irish whiskey, Scotch whiskey, and American whiskey. And when they get to the Scotch, they like they had tell you to hold it up and ask, "Do you know the proper way to drink Scotch?" And everyone says no. And when they say you hold it up, you look at it, you evaluate the color, and then you throw it over your shoulder and pick up another <laughs> Irish whiskey. <laughs> I like it, and I agreed with them to this day. That's good. That's you know. Some showmanship. Uh, we try and keep it keep it a uh, collaborative yeah. so far, but but if things get if things get too competitive here, we may yeah. have to start uh, start throwing <laughs> other. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, do you know how to drink a Kentucky rye? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think there's a good martini meme about that. So throw it in the trash where it belongs. Um, so yeah. the so you still plan on like. Staying focused on rye whiskey and growing that. Yeah, that- let's let's can we can we talk a little bit about about our rye, about the new thing, yeah. and, and our plans Absolutely. here. Absolutely, this is um, we this- can talk about whatever you want because I, I probably <laughs> should have talked. Okay, I shouldn't have waited a half hour to let's rank <laughs> to have you talk about what you want to talk about. Let's all right. If it's what I want to talk about, let's rank the scenes in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, um, the okay. middle is really That's, good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so so Epic Reserve, which is sitting here on the table for you audio listeners at home, uh, is our new flagship rye whiskey. So it has taken us eight years, essentially, of being in business to get um, our four-year rye whiskey on the shelf. See if I can Jason. do it. I, I I mean, I really don't need to take a phone now. I was just going if I, I oh, left my phone in my time. office, I was just going to post something to Instagram um, <laughs> to a story, but I don't have my phone with me, so I won't be doing that. Uh, but I do, I love your bottles. You you guys definitely put a lot of thought and effort into your packaging, and I appreciate that. Thank you. That, that was a whole lesson to learn. Um, I, I'm, I, I don't work in a vacuum, and I'm not a designer, but I'm in charge of the design, so I love my designers uh, because they make my ideas look like they were good ideas, <laughs> which is what a good designer should do. Uh, but but it does take a lot of work, and we had to, at some point, I was very disappointed in our, had kind of how our collection looked comparatively, so, so I made a real effort to try and elevate some things. So thank you for saying so. Um, but... Yeah, so so the new Epic Reserve is a another lovely looking bottle. It's a four year plus rye whiskey, so it's essentially a no age statement whiskey, and you are able to not have an age statement provided it's over four. Okay. It does say this whiskey is over four years old on the bottle, um, so there is certainly four year in there. But we reserve the right at all times to be blending in older stuff. So kind of total mix is a mystery, but it's blended to profile, um, and it is you know it's the same juice as our two year, but it is substantially different, um, in the bottle. And this is 
finally, what we consider kind of the centerpiece of what we've been trying to do, which is a um, really meticulous, nuanced, truly pot distilled uh, Maryland straight rye whiskey uh, in in what we consider the best bell curve of, of where that exists. And pot distilled whiskey is a rare thing, even though craft distilleries are, you know, a dime a dozen across the country. They're everywhere. There are very few people who are truly doing double single pass pot distilled spirits. Because so it's much more inefficient, right? Is slow, the, is the reason. inefficient, um, meticulous. Yeah, you know, you have, you have less, uh, you can't fix bad fermentations because you're, it's really low rectification. So all the character that you, you bring out in fermentation, um, Warts and all, if there are any, are going to come through in your spirit. So you have to be really careful. So it's a good thing Eli was a brewer. Eli uh, is <laughs> is an absolute um, genius on the stills. He he is really one of the I think really one of truly the most talented uh, distillers on the East Coast, uh, if not the country. He's he's really fantastic. And and we do we do things our our own way, and we do things a way that is um, two things. It's it's the way almost all whiskeys would have been made when rye whiskey was king in call it 1850. Um, you know, column stills didn't exist till the 1870s and before they were prevalent in America would have been some time after that. So when rye whiskey was, uh, as popular as it's ever been, uh, and as touted as it's ever been. And when Maryland was most famous for making it, uh, it was, it was going to be more of a pot distilled style spirit, which is, um, qualitatively just a very different thing than a column stilled spirit. So it's a near extinct style of spirits making. That's also incredibly important to American history. Uh, and we, we did the release party Saturday before last, uh, released the, the launch batch, which was 300 bottles. And then, uh, in two weeks we'll send it out for distribution in Maryland and DC. And it'll essentially, we don't think we'll ever be sold out of it again. There may be, you know, if it really catches fire, we'll see, uh, but strained moments. Yeah. But uh, August on August 1st, we're actually launching it out of state for the first time as well. So it'll be available in California, Arizona, Nevada, Washington state, um, is California just easy to sell stuff in? No. Oh, but it's, why uh, California then? There's well, so many people. We have a great a lot of relationship <laughs> with our distributor out there. Oh, okay. Um, and also we tend to focus on, um, we like competitive markets that are open to new things that are, that are kind of trend setters. So okay. San Francisco, Seattle, um, certainly a number of accounts in, in San Diego and LA are, it really matters what they like. Um, so we love being part of their conversation and we find that our spirits, um, do, do well in places like that. Uh, and you know, we, we have some of our more eclectic stuff in California and it is easier in kind of an urban cocktail centric environment like San Francisco say to sell Szechuan Amaro than it is in uh, you know, rural Idaho, something like yeah, that. There probably are many people who are, who have gone down to a, a new eclectic yeah. Amari. So so that there's kind of there's reason to it. We also there's have a, great, a big leap between Jack Daniels and it's true. And there's a long distance to travel. A lot of customer <laughs> education, um, but we have a great relationship with our distributor out there okay. who found us at a trade show and really wanted to bring us out there. And and we love that um, when somebody believes in the brand and want to wants to put their effort oh, behind us. Awesome. I'm so, always curious that the distribution of like even beer and spirits. I always find inter- interesting like where places end up sending yeah. their product and how that there's we want to do a little geographic expansion where we just scooch our borders out and, and get in Delaware and and maybe you know Pennsylvania Pennsylvania and Virginia are 
the people there we want to serve, but yeah. it, they're both control states. Yeah, and so, so it, it makes it a little more complicated. But we think we're probably about about ready to have a good pitch for those those markets, especially with this this whiskey in particular. Um, but some some of these other states, is, distributors have come to us uh, okay. and really wanted to carry the brand. So there's two ways to get distribution. You can go and pitch yourself at the places you want to be, or or distributors can pitch you and say, "Let us try and try and grow your brand out here." And we prefer the second because we feel like um, distributors will take a brand just in case it does well. But if they yeah. want to sell it, that means they believe and they think they can make money on it. And I want people who think that it's worth something. So. Um, yeah, it's great. So it'll be the first time Epic Rise sent outside of Maryland. So we've been, you know, obsessing about the verbiage on the bottle and how to like, <laughs> you know, not how to how to really draw eyes to Maryland, but while show they're like this, there's history here. There's real provenance in this bottle, um, and and it, it's something very special. So, uh, but at the release party, so we. I did a guided tasting at 8 p.m. I got up there and thanked everybody for being there, and then and then gave all of the tasting notes that we had kind of dug in and found in our in our rye, and gave everyone in the room a, a little uh, pour for sample, and had a little tasting. And then 15 minutes later, we received an email from the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, uh, where the brand new Epic Reserve had just won double gold. And That's awesome. I got timing. to got to is awesome timing. I got to tell the party on the microphone right yeah. after the release got a big cheer out of it. And then of course the results were embargoed till last Thursday. So we had to sit on it for a minute. Yeah. Um, Congratulations. Really cool. Thank you. Uh, competitions are, are not be all end all. And there's, there's always, it's a little bit of just kind of throwing darts, but, but we've won the double gold for whiskey four times now. And that's, that's not coincidence. So. But in any, any crowded market, anything that you can add to different, like, just ha when when someone's standing in that whiskey aisle and there are what a hundred <laughs> bottles of different brands there, and you can have that little double gold little hang tag or sitting something. there, yeah. like it, I, I would I would venture the guess that makes it worthwhile entering stuff. It, like if if for the customer who doesn't know what they're going in to get and they're just perusing on what's how they I get. buy wine. You know, it's yeah. like I pick a price point and a style and then I start reading the tags and a, a staff pick or a really high wine enthusiast score yeah. or or just some description, the no brainer tag at the you know, like yeah. <laughs> any of that stuff, like I'll just be like, Okay, that's that's the one today. Um so yeah, and that's because I don't know so much about wine that I can I'm in there hunting for a single brand or a single appellation yeah. from this year or something like that. Uh, so I do think that matters on the whiskey shelf as well. Uh, and of course, they're the people that read the results. I mean, San Francisco is the biggest competition in the United States. So there are people who are going to read that list and they're going to Google those brands uh, and they're going to read the you know the website material and stuff. So uh, it, it's a big deal. And also, I mean, uh, like Total Wine, the chain pays attention to those lists. And if they see somebody's name pop up again and again, then sometimes that opens the door, become a partner in their chain. And uh, Does that help you get into like a control state too? When you're pitching, if Total Wine brought us in, or or an account like Total Wine, yeah. if some big conglomerate liquor store that exists in almost all the states brought us in, including well, control states are typically state-run liquor stores, yeah. So probably not. Okay, um, I didn't actually, know. Like yeah. when you go to, because you have to go to like, like Pennsylvania. Is there a guy that decides? We'll, what we'll is see. Sold? I did have <laughs> to pitch the Montgomery County Board back in okay. 2017. I had yeah. to you know go and. Or like got got the round table and they all eyes on me and I was like, we really want to be here. Here are the products. Here's the story. And they like they were like approved. So I do <laughs> think you can go in there and just fail. So I'm sure there's going to be some Shark Tank elevator yeah. pitch I'm going to have to do somewhere. Or 
you have a good distributor who goes in and says, hey, this brand is, is moving and shaking and we want you guys to pick them up. And I, I, so I would, I would think that doing well in competitions would help in that aspect too. I, I think so. It's, um, I, think it's a, I think it's helpful. It's not a game changer. Although you never know what's going to take off and where it all starts, so uh, we've of course, won, like then I the said, completely cynical side of me thinks that like in Pennsylvania you need to just come in with a stack of money to slip to the guy that makes the decision, and, and that's how you get sold in the. If anybody has inside <laughs> info on who and how much, just to let me know. Now I have I have no idea um, what the politics are like up there. I do know that a lot of brands want to be in there and. Uh, they don't have room for everybody. And, and yeah. since it's not a store by store basis, making calls on what, what's on their shelf that they have to be fairly selective. A lot but, of those stores are small too. Yeah. But, but I do think that, you know, I mean, we're, we're from Baltimore, like Philly and Baltimore sister cities. Like we're right where we share a long border. Like I think we're a regional brand, which makes us uh, appealing. And we didn't want to overextend in the first place. Uh, we, we love Pennsylvania. Um, we love Pennsylvania, even though we root against them in sports. But we maybe maybe just now we're kind of ready and we know we've got the yeah. stock to to give it a real good effort. So uh, we weren't in a rush. I, we haven't failed getting in there. We've just been like it's not not really time to to try and fail yet. Well, I mean, I I would venture to guess that with a distillery, you have to be very careful about your expansion, like distribution footprint, because if you run out, you're out. Yeah. I mean, there's worse, worse problems than, than selling out. Um, if you're doing so well, but it is, it is something to consider. I'd rather be doing really well in a few places than kind of being everywhere and nowhere at the same time. But I would, I would like, so if you, if you started before you were to the point, like where you say that you can almost always have that in stock where you have the pipeline, yeah, full we think and flowing do. that if you start sending it to California and all these other forest states and you run out of it in your backyard, I would think that's a bigger problem than being good, like selling out of it. Maybe, in, maybe yeah. Chris, but what if then when it's ready, <laughs> oh, that's we have true, a, a line of a hundred people out the door because they haven't been able to get it in three months. Um, that's not what we wish. What we wish is for every person to just to buy a bottle, a bottle of <laughs> gets a bottle, but also for that to be every single bottle that's available. I and mean, that's yeah. the perfect world is everyone who wants it gets it. And we're selling all of it because uh, as, as we were talking about before the show, you know, the whiskey we produced this year is for 2028 and older. Um, so w- the more whiskey we sell, the more money we have to make whiskey. Uh, and it's almost certainly not going to be enough. I mean, we'd like to be a, a very different and much bigger company in 2028. Uh, so the more whiskey we can put down this year, the better, uh, or else being sold out is going to be a, more of a reality. And we don't get to change that in the short term as a whiskey distillery because we can't just make new whiskey on demand. Uh, it's, it's what we made a long time ago. So uh, we're happy to have what we have now, and hopefully we can sell so much of it that in 2028 uh, we've got even more. What um, what percentage of your sales are taken up by whiskey? I think last year was the first year that we made more money on whiskey than any other spirit. And I think that'll be the case for the rest of time. So is that the, but though, is that a function of that whiskey's more expensive or also the volume no, all you're of, selling more? It's, it's all of the above. Oh, um, yeah, because some of the Amaros are... 
probably the same around the same price, and right? Or? They're lower. They're lower, and the, okay. the gin is lower. We sell a lot of volume in gin in Maryland. Shot Tower Gin is is a fantastic spirit, and it's not something that is that is ever going away. I can't tell you how much I love Shot Tower Gin. I really truly think it's one of the great American dries being distilled in the country. I love um, everything about gin until I'm still tasting it with every burp like two hours later. You just got to keep drinking gin. That, and that, the that problem would, is you somehow stopped for yeah, two hours. That would, I mean, that would solve the problem. Like that's the only thing I don't like about gin is that like <laughs> that lingering flavor in the back of my throat. Um, yeah, so I think we still by volume sell more gin, but because Epic has a more premium price as well as the fact that we're moving half the tours, you know, we're moving 60, 60 bottles through tours every yeah. week. Um, I do think that that in <clears> terms of, what it means to the business we've kind of, and we always expected that it was going to turn because our, you know, the main project is Maryland rye was, it was the reason we founded the company was to bring Maryland straight rye whiskey back to its cultural home. And when we started the project in 2013, there were zero distilleries in the state. So like it was truly trying to do something that was not being done. Um, not just trying to be a part of a yeah. growing trend. Um, now everyone's copying off you. Same with the mustache, dude. <laughs> um, so, it's really meaningful to us and we, you know, that's why we were called Baltimore Whiskey Company to start. Now, now we ended up kind of loving and caring so many of the other things we're working on that, that we did adjust the name because we are yeah. bigger than just whiskey. But, uh, you know, probably 80% of the time in the distillery in terms of physical work that's going on because whiskey is also a longer process and requires QC over years and years and years through the barrels. 80% of our effort is related to our whiskey making. Um, so it's the future of the company. And I think last year we started to see the results of that uh, kind of focus and, and game plan start to take shape where it really started to take its flagpole position amongst the spirits, uh, which is always where we imagined it. Great beer starts with great ingredients. At Havoc Brewing Supply, they offer a wide selection of premium hops, fruit purees, malt, cleaning supplies, and more. Their family-owned business is dedicated to helping you create the perfect beer. Havoc offers flexible contracts, lightning fast shipping, and unrivaled customer service. Join the Havoc Brewing Supply family and elevate your brewing game. Shop small, brew big, grow together. Visit HavocBrewingSupply.com today to learn more. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. Was Epic Reserve a evolution of the product, or is Epic Reserve the goal from day one, like th to be your flagship? We didn't know it was called Epic Reserve, um, but... Certainly day one, we wanted an, an expression of rye whiskey that was between four and six as kind of the centerpiece goal. So um, we didn't get there in exactly four years. It took twice that long because, A, we could barely produce anything for the yeah. first three years of the company. So that stuff was almost always sold out. We really needed revenue just to keep the doors open. So um, we, we allocated almost all of the early stuff into two-year and then three-year cast strength and then some special barrel finish releases. And it just became really hard to acquire a bulk of barrels that were making it to four years old um, to where we could introduce a skew that didn't have to disappear right away. So we do you have we, any 
really old barrels squirreled away for a future the oldest special eight year release or not not really um there is one we've only made one barrel of whiskey that we think is unreleasably not good now, we're not sure what <laughs> happened in the fermentation uh it wasn't just a normal barrel of epic rye it was a it was a single malt rye attempt our first one and it was weird from the beginning we don't know if it was the grain itself or 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 the just a weird fer- or just like a, a heat production issue in the original distillery or what season we we're not really sure but we put it in barrel anyway one barrel and i think we <laughs> check it once a year and it does actually improve a tiny bit year to year and like the kind of crazy thing about it becomes less crazy so maybe in, in 20 in years year it'll 10 be- <laughs> we'll find out that we we found the secret to like the best 10 year rye anyone's <laughs> ever produced um so that, that I think that might be our oldest barrel because we okay. just we just can't take it out, but we're not going <laughs> to dump it. We're just going to yeah. see what happens. That's the beauty of whiskey making. Um, and then we've got a uh, we got some special special like group projects we did for groups that are that are old, but those are all kind of allocated to to certain people already. Um, but like right now, who, who paid for like a whole barrel's worth of right and gr- yeah made. groups that and they kind of take a bottle out every year. Okay. We just do limited releases for that group. They pick it up. Um, that's a fun cool. project. Yeah. If anybody, if any, that sounds fun to anybody, just reach out. Um, but in the distillery now we have 620 ish barrels, call it, uh, somewhere in that 620 barrels, there's absolutely an eight year, probably a 10. Okay. Um, so, so now we have a, a mass of barrels enough to where like it's the company surviving, is it riding on getting it out as fast as possible? Yeah. So we are going to absolutely, uh, withhold, withhold inventory for older special releases and we've got plans for um five-year stuff hopefully next year uh maybe towards the end of next year as a as maybe maybe a five-year cast strength we're still kind of dialing in the roadmap a little bit so it's a living document so to speak uh but we do have a second year or sorry a second uh skew to release by the end of this year uh which will be a lot of fun i don't think i'm going to take the lid off that one yet you should um <laughs> breaking news <laughs> um no it should be fun it'll be our it'll be a the first barrel finish that we consider a core thing so we, we put a lot of it down because we've we have the post epic series tequila um no we've never done a tequila that finish and that, that would be think a of barrels that would think, be think about that one and really weird large supply or um, or different there's there's a lot so but we've the the post epic series has always been single barrel releases where we'll do a barrel finish and we did it as this kind of post epic thing where the only thing that changes is really the hang tag to tell you what the finishing barrel was yeah. so that we could experiment with a lot of barrels over time and really figure out how our spirit uh, plays with a bunch of different finishing barrels so at this point we've done i mean we've probably had between 10 and 15 different barrel finishes come in and out of the distillery especially through the blend your own program and stuff some really crazy ones through there which has been fun but um what's the age breakdown of when you do that like how long it stays in its original barrel to yeah when it goes to the finishing um you are able to change that a little bit if it's like toasted french oak um that that held something in it for a long period in time it's probably not contributing very quickly so we've had things that we took out of its original barrel at two and aged it for two and a half more years in the finishing barrel. Okay. Um, and then, but we have a lot of things that have been one single year in the finishing barrel. It's pretty industry standard to do things like three to six months as well, where you're going to pull most of the finishing flavor out, 
um, and you just don't want it to get over oaked. So you take something that feels almost done. When you introduce a new barrel, you're always going to kind of increase oak real fast for a minute. So some people are worried about that. We've never, we've never had anything turn. We don't think, although we did find out that, uh, somewhere in a, an apricot brandy barrel, someone had burnt a sulfur candle in it at some point, And at some point it did ruin what we had in there. So that's another thing that'll never why come out you, actually. Why would you do that? It's like What's a, it? so they do it in wine. It, it like uh, sanitizes the barrel. Okay. Um, but it, huh. it doesn't work for spirits very well. Do you, it starts in, tasting like a match. Cause they're in like there truly so much a longer. Matchstick. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if that's the only reason <laughs> sulfur and wine is something that I don't have um, a ton of knowledge about, but it's really common. Okay. Uh, and when you buy used wine barrels, you have to ask for them not to be sulfured. Like okay. Um, and this it, one does a wine happen. will a wine barrel go bad if it, that's like in a certain amount of time if that's not I think done, that's or? I think that's the theory, especially because wine is is low ABV, so it can turn sour grow, and, and grow stuff. And, and um, so you have to I think you want to use them when they're fairly fresh. Okay. Um, yeah, where, the, oh, the, the finishing barrels. Yeah. So we're introducing. Uh, so. So we've we've focused on some that we know are like these this this stuff's the hit. Yeah. And we're gonna release a, a big bit of that. It'll probably be a yearly release versus a, a an always available thing, but a big yearly release that'll also go out for distribution and have its own dedicated label. It won't just be post epic, it'll be epic something. Um I gotta figure that out. Perry up. <laughs> <laughs> I um the the science and everything, the art behind barrel aging is just I find fascinating and that's gotta be like the hardest part of all this right I mean I guess so you can screw you screw up in the beginning then you're <laughs> that's the- that's part of it um you know the the first time you you put whiskey in a barrel especially as a new distillery with a, a new style of kind of spirit you're trying to make you don't have an aged version of it ever to compare yeah. to understand what you're what it's going to come out like. So, you you put it in the barrel and you look at each other and you kind of just shrug and you're like, let's, let's see what happens. Hope it works. Um, so, <laughs> in some ways, the chemistry is dense and hard. Uh, and Eli um, would love to, if you want to ever have like a, a real technical podcast. If you want to do a barrel aging one, he'd love to come in here and he can do it. It no, won't even wouldn't. be a BSC. Oh, he's he'd be thrilled to that, do. That's we were talking the only way he's going to talk. Earlier today, he said he'd be happy to do more podcasts when uh, <laughs> when we were talking about coming out here. So, um, come have Eli on for some of that. But so in some ways, it's very that, the that chemistry would be is really a cool technical. Panel, pa- panel discussion type thing, like uh, yeah, have Eli on to represent spirits. Have um, someone on from a brewery to uh, yeah, Burley Oak or something. Someone does a lot yes. of barrel stuff. Um, and then I, I guess wine. wine. <laughs> uh, maple syrup, maple syrup. Yeah, guy. find a maple syrup um, or Tabasco hot sauce. Um, I didn't know that. that oh, it's barrel a... aged and salt packed. They salt huh. pack the top, and it like sucks moisture out. It's really cool. Look up some that. Tabasco production YouTube videos. <laughs> I want we do want to find a used Tabasco barrel finish might be fun. Um, but in the other sense, even though it's very technical, what's happening in there? You're also just you just leave it in there and you just see and what happens. For the best. Exactly, yeah. you know. <laughs> so so it is it is hard in some sense, and in some sense, it's the easiest part. You're just like, well, we did our best, and now it's in there, and let's see what. I'll check on it in a couple of years. Um, yeah. Do you have you done any single barrel release? Or are you? Yeah, we did for our fifth anniversary. Those okay. were the first four year I things promise. we released were the bo- couple bottled and bond releases, both of which were single barrels. Oh yeah, because you did the um bought the, the wooden, wooden box anniversary the, yeah. and then the copper anniversary. Yeah, yeah, those were cool presentations. Um, 
Yeah, they were. They were cool. And that's been the evolution of how um, hard getting to four years has been for us. So like <laughs> the first wooden box anniversary, super special for our fifth year anniversary. And it was $100 for a bottle, sold out in an instant. And then the second one was the copper anniversary, which was our seven-year anniversary last year, another single barrel bottled in bond. And it came with a little piece of the original still cut out in a medallion, kind of a little dog tag hanging on it. That was really cool. That was 80 bucks. I wish I so would have bought like, one of those. And the, then the, just for the They're cool, man. I, the people coin thing. would be all over eBay one day. It would be a lot of fakes. Um, well, I have I have the – because McClintock, the first – I think it was the first 100 uh, bottles they had uh, – pieces of the stave from the bottle and bond release that they, they yeah, yeah, laser yeah. etched on them. So that's cool. That's sitting on my desk. Nice. I still have, I actually, on my desk, sitting in my office on my desk is the um, Eli's blah, blah, blah. Singularity. E- singularity did, yeah. number one. Nice. The Bort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we did have a podcast about the yeah, Bort. We I did. Think. Yeah. Because yeah, um, I was pretty infa- factu- infatuated with Bort. <laughs> we, have a, we have another barrel of that that might come out this year. It's nice. been in for longer than the original, I believe. Um, that'd be fun. Uh, and this, of course, so to conclude the arc of the $100, $80, now this yeah. kind of core four-year that we know is going to be around for a long time and hopefully widely available. We want it to be available to more people. So we, we settled in at $64.99, which is, um, you know, based on how we do things and, and what our actual costs are, probably an economist would say it's too low. Um, but we think it, it sits next to brands of quality that, that we want to we want to sit next to and and uh, not have not have it be a bottle that's bought and, and never opened but the the liquid inside reflects um the quality of the price i mean it's it's really fantastic stuff uh and we think a really good value at 65 and, uh, very and the bottle looks it. cool yeah bottle's cool the original <laughs> 300 have this hand stamped wax seal so we actually like okay liquid wax and stamped it with like a little letter yeah. stamp thing that we we ordered uh, but we're gonna the main production model will have a pewter seal in its place. That'll oh, be cool. Standardized. Oh, that'll look cool too. Um, so, but you know, you have one of the original 300 if you've got the, the, the hand stamped wax. Yeah. Fancy one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what, what are the typical year markers for a rye whiskey? That's is it like two, four, six. Is it like every two years? Is a, something like that? I think it's. Oh no, you mentioned a five year. So I think it's two, four, and over. <laughs> um, I think two, four, ten is probably. Okay. I think before between four and ten, you're all kind of playing the same game and just making decisions based yeah. on based on your own style. Uh, ten, whenever you get to a double digit, that's that's something fun. Uh, and of course, in those ages, you are also going to have bottled and bond, meaning it was all, all the whiskey in the barrel was also distilled in the same season in the same yeah. place. And, um, you're also going to have cast strength, you know, or any, any 80 proof, hundred proof or 132 cast strength, you know? Uh, so there's a lot of ways to differentiate within the age thing. You know, age is just one marker. So what are the, there's cast strength. Is that the same? Is that synonymous with barrel barrel proof? proof. Yeah. And then there's also at full proof, right? Yes. And what, what's the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember. What's the... the way, your so response cast, seems cast like it's strength. kind of a BS well, marketing kind of a, thing, but... It's, <laughs> it is kind of because I think it's a new thing people are oh, doing, okay. which um, which I get, but I think that it's also like... who It's kind of just doesn't matter. Um, cast strength is the proof at which it's taken out of the cask. Yeah. It comes out, that's mm-hmm. the proof. Which is often 
will always higher it could be lower what higher would. or lower okay. depending on the okay. climate it's aged in so oh, okay. if it's really humid you might lose more alcohol than water as the air is kind of water saturated but can still take on some of the alcohol if it's really dry the air is going to just suck a lot of that uh the water out of your barrel faster than the alcohol so the proof okay. will go up so it depends on the climate proof up proof down um and in some places with like really tall rick houses you might get different results at the top of the rick house than the bottom um, based on temperature fluctuation yeah. and also humidity and stuff. Um, so that's cast strength, whatever it comes out at. And sometimes it'll be higher or lower. Full proof, I believe, means that, say the proof went from 115 to 122 over five years or something, uh, they're going to proof it down to 115. It's yeah, the so proof at which it went in the barrel. <clears throat> okay. that that's the, that I, I do remember that. Def, that definition now and i think that's what made me think that it always goes up but i didn't i didn't know the variable of yeah if it's so does yours always go down then since we maryland's actually, so we tend to gain one proof a year okay um yeah yep we gain one proof a year just about but you're losing volume we're losing one. volume to get the one proof. oh yeah we're not getting more alcohol yeah. no more alcohol is <laughs> magically appearing there's still the angel share to contend with um and we barrel, you know, we tend to bottle high. All of our whiskeys at 100 proof or higher for for our cast drink stuff. So, um, and we barrel at 115 typically. That does change a little bit on kind of a batch to batch, how much we got out of every run, kind of yeah. thing. But it's our our general target. Um, What's your personal preference for proofage of drinking a rye whiskey? In general, I I prefer to buy bottles that are higher proof. Okay. Um, that's not to say I haven't loved some bottles that are well under a hundred. But if I, if someone said, you know, here's this 92 proof scotch, or you can have the 110 proof version of the exact same thing, I'm going to choose the high proof. Uh, I do think it's fun to do some, you know, watering down exploration, but not a lot of people who are not in the industry say taste a lot of things directly off the still and directly out of barrel as part of their daily life and job. Yeah. So my palate has just become very accustomed to high proof stuff. So I understand that if that's not the case, that it just might be too much. You might be more burned so than it is flavor, but water garbage. Yeah, I mean, it's really funny <laughs> compared to what I used to think 80 proof alcohol was and say, you know, high school, um, which was fire. Uh, yeah, it, it really does taste like someone like let an ice cube melt in my whiskey and now it's like watered <laughs> down. Uh, so I prefer high proof stuff. And part of that's just the development of my personal palate. I don't think there's a right or wrong way to drink things, whether it be cocktails, uh, ice cube, teaspoon of water, cast strength, 86, whatever, whatever floats your boat. Um, I think it's about getting the most enjoyment out of your dram. And if somebody else is telling you how you enjoy something, they're probably wrong. Do uh, what's your preferred way of drinking neat. whiskey? Just straight neat. Yeah. Yep, give me a glass, put some whiskey in it. I prefer no ice, um, and I prefer room temp. Yeah, I I don't like warm liquids in general, so I prefer. Do you ever just keep the bottle in the in the fridge or the freezer? No, I've never done that. I should try that. That would be easier. Then you don't have to worry about it. Whether you have ice frozen, well, yeah, or you're like my, look in the sink and see your empty ice thing, and you're like, God. I'm Every time <laughs> for Christmas, my sister-in-law got me um, the stainless steel whiskey balls. Yeah, and my seven-year-old nephew, like we almost sent him into convulsions because we just kept talking about my balls. 
and he was sitting there like practically like vibrating, trying not to laugh. You know, the mind of a child <laughs> yeah. is a beautiful thing. Um, so those are also a nice. Uh, if you don't want, to, if you're worried, like you don't yeah, want water if you don't want the water and stuff, yeah. I went on. <clears throat> I feel like it took me forever of watching YouTube videos of how to make clear ice, where I finally found one that just showed a super easy way to do it, where you you just take a Yeti to, or any stainless steel insulated glass, fill it up and set it in the freezer, and then break the top off. Yeah, yeah, and then it's just for. Like all the other previous ones I'd watched were like contraptions with <laughs> coolers, or like, and then I, I finally found that video. I was like, "Wow, this is way easier." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, if you're if you can freeze something deep, basically, yeah. is really the thing. It's all I'll get cloudy at the top. There is something really wonderful about a perfectly clear, dense ice cube, and I still love a cocktail, so so I've got my own uses for them. Yeah, it did. so I was as elated when I discovered that easy way of creating clear ice but half the time um, i just throw a bunch of regular yeah <laughs> yep. um what else do you have coming up that you're excited for coming up um uh, the main our main focus has been getting epic reserve in bottles getting all the marketing material the the writing on the bottle the name uh the, the packaging nuances under our belt and ready to rock. So uh, as I said, the, the launch bottles are out. Um, we've moved the majority of them, but we've got the the rest of batch one, which will still be batch one. It just won't be the launch yeah. bottles um, coming. So, so going out for distribution probably in two weeks. So depending on when this episode is, it'll be by the end of May, hopefully in a liquor store near you if you're listening to this in Maryland. Uh, that'll be a big thing. We're really trying to get it as many places and try and plan some launch events uh, coming up out in the market to taste through it. Uh, so keep an eye out for Epic Reserve if you're not close enough to come visit us uh, in the distillery. Uh, and the next big thing is is sending it out of state. Uh, I've got a huge sales trip out in California uh, the first two weeks of August, basically, uh, that I'm really looking forward to. Um, and we've got, you know, we have a lot of stuff. If you want to just come have a good time in the cocktail gallery, we always have programming going on there. You should come do the whiskey tour. Um, it's a blast. I'm talking both to you, Chris, as well as to I know. Uh, all of I your lovely to. listeners. Um, I don't go to Baltimore often. I mean, I don't go to Frederick often. It's it's, yeah, an, it's, it's an hour away, and yeah. this is where you live, and that's where I live, and that's, <laughs> I mean, I get it. Um, but it is a really good time. Uh, and Kids also ruin the... Everything. The, uh, yeah, we'll just stop there and then I don't have to say anything more. <laughs> um, my my advice to anyone with kids is don't let them get into field hockey. Uh, Avoid field hockey like the plague. All right. It's expensive, There's both monetarily and time-wise. Lacrosse, hockey, and field hockey. <clears throat> yeah, avoid all of them. Anything with a, anything with a stick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, DePolo would be <laughs> yeah. you know, particularly expensive. Um, yeah, so come come see us at the distillery. And, the, and like I said, the cocktail stuff there is great. We do music. The Charm City Bluegrass Festival is in the Union Collective this weekend. Uh, we'll be out there with frozen drinks, which will be fun. Um, oh, so distillers are getting into the slushy Getting into the thing, trying too. to figure out how to... <laughs> how to engage in the festival scene a little bit. This, this is only because it's literally at our building. It's, yeah. We're not going to start being a, <laughs> a uh, 
a festival regular. Um, we were more, we we're more about the bottles, but this seemed like just something fun we could offer in our, in our house, so to speak. That, that is something that seems to be very hard to replicate from like the beer world. Oh, and wineries do it, but it's a, I think you have to be dedicated to it and you have to want that to be something that you do. And it's a whole, I think it's a whole business but like I mean, going I mean, out even there. Even just like events centered around there being a bunch of distilleries. Like it's yeah, just, I would it, agree with that too. It's just, it's, it's too strong of, of a, a beverage. And to, it's like usually in the summer, so it's yeah. 92 degrees. <laughs> I remember in the early days when we were still trying to figure it out, like having to do like the North Beach street festival and the sun is coming in sideways. So it's just, it's gotten my smoked apple brandy up to like 92 <laughs> degrees. The perfect People serving temperature. sweating and sunburned <laughs> and I'm pouring them 92 degrees smoked brandy and they're just like, and, and like hot gin. Um, this is before we were allowed to do any mixing yeah. at the table. Oh yeah. Cause you weren't even allowed to mix ice, right? They considered no, no that ice as a mixing, it. right? So now if we were doing something like that, I mean, we still like to focus on bottle sales, but maybe we'd have ice to keep our spirits in. And if nothing else may, you know, if we were going to go do drinks, we could do some easy G and T's or, um, you know, we have our shot tower, sunshine and flowers, which is our uh, kind of Pim's cup style summer yeah. cup liqueur. So we'd go out there and do, um, you know, lemonade with sunshine and stuff like that. So it could be done. Um, but it's not our, not our focus. Our focus is truly trying to create kind of a legacy brand that is based on the bottle. We want to be kind of a great American whiskey distillery and, and do something special over here in Maryland where, uh, you know, it used to be, the place it was done. Um, so that, that's our focus. You can only do so many things, especially when you're a very small uh, company like ours. So, Where do people go to stay up to date on what you have going on? The usual places. So social media, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Instagram tends to be the most... I mean, I think like most brands kind of, kind of where, yeah. where the meat of it is. Um, but we do have... We've got events calendars on our website... Uh, we do have an email list, which for all special releases and things like that is a really great place to be kept up to date. Um, so you can join the email list through the website. Um, and if anybody wants to get in touch with me or any of my team, the contact info on the website uh, goes straight to me. The main Instagram page is linked to my phone. So I'm still still the point of contact for um, all of our lovely customers and fans and well-wishers and unfortunately a lot of people that, you know, no more. Than Do you want to grow your brand to 100,000 <laughs> oh, followers? God, yeah. yeah. Maybe more messages about that than anything else. <clears throat> I, have, um, I have one sitting in my message request right now. Like, hey, can I ask you a favor? Like, no, total no. stranger. You cannot yeah, ask I me a favor. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you want. I know what you want. All right. So you, speaking of Instagram, I recently watched a video done by a whiskey influencer. And they have a series of... Uh, you should, it's something along the lines like stages in whiskey drinking, you should skip. And one of them was referring to whiskey as juice. You referred to whiskey as juice during this interview. Defend yourself. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm better than a whiskey influencer. I make whiskey. I don't know what this, I mean, who I, am I defending against. I don't I, like this guy. You I, know, you just, when you, I saw that one, I like, I've, I've heard Every single distiller I've ever interviewed or talked to refer yeah. to it as Well, it's juice. almost like an industry term or an enthusiast term. So a lot of times when you hear it talked about, 
it's very specific to talking about the distillate yeah. and a lot, oftentimes where it came from. Like, I think oh, that's the MGP only, juice. Yeah, I, you know? and I was going to say, I think that's the only time I've ever referred to it as juice yeah. is purchased, like someone purchasing the distillate. And it's, you know, you can make bad whiskey with good juice if you have yeah. bad barrel sensibilities or just a really bad climate. You know, I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's ways to do it. Everyone can screw something up. You dump in a bunch of oak, you know, burnt oak chips into your barrel to do something crazy that turns out terrible. So, you know, there are a lot of brands with the same juice that make very different whiskey, but yeah. there's it, kind of a technical, I feel like it, it has like a real purpose in its language, like in its lingo. And it's I, always I brought up if, in a I wonder if that person's reason. point is that like, uh, people getting into whiskey will hear that used the right way. And then like just start always referring to whiskey as juice or yeah, something. Yeah, I'll take one know. juice. Neat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, you got to get your uh, kids to be ordering uh, juice boxes yeah. neato. That would be the kid's version. But I, uh, that, that just stuck in my head when I saw that one is like, that seems weird. Cause that's, and then when you said, it, I was yeah. like, Oh, I got to give him a hard time about that. There's a whiskey influencer on Instagram. Yeah, well you call this guy. You call you this should. guy right now. <laughs> Um, do you have time to answer some intentionally stupid questions? Oh my God. I've been waiting all podcast for this. <laughs> That's, I, I've, I, I've been told that multiple times. Like I feel like I wasted like that person's time yeah. for like an hour. When do we really start, when do we start recording to. right now? <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. I haven't hit record right. yet. <laughs> um, <clears throat> if you were a new member of the Spice Girls, what would your name be? Uh, mustache spice. Pretty I, sure. I would be disappointed if there was any other answer. Crunchy or creamy peanut butter? Crunchy. Definitely. My wife recently bought creamy and I yelled at her. I'm sorry. When is, uh, when are you serving the papers? I think, I think they're set to be delivered next Wednesday. Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you drop food on the floor, what is the maximum acceptable amount of time where you can still eat it? Depends on the floor and the food. But like, say, spaghetti on a linoleum floor, <laughs> immediately, probably no. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good barometer. My favorite answer to that ever was, am I alone? <laughs> that's going to matter. That's for sure. So if I'm alone, there's no. <laughs> so I was in Frederick no yesterday. Um, we, took our, we took our staff to the malt, our malting house, which is uh, near Frederick, as well as our, uh, the farm that grows our rye, bought the farm. And visited Greg, the maltster, and is Charles, our ball? grower. No. Oh, that's a um, No, uh, Amber Fields? Yeah, that's, a, that's his, yeah, his last name is Clayball. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Last name. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'm thinking of the name of the place. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, that was they great. Do, they do all the... Um, the rye for rye, Monocacy rye, rye. Yes, That's where they correct. Are. Yep, yep. And they, they malt rye for us as well, which is really cool. Cool to see that. They are um, good at rye. But we went to uh, White Rabbit here in Frederick okay. for a little staff late lunch, and I got the Kung Pao uh, Detroit-style pizza, I, which was great. Um, I've not heard of that one. But um, suffice to say, when one my last bite, I'd been save, eating around this piece of Kung Pao chicken yeah. on this deep dish pizza, and I try one bite and it falls off and falls uh, onto the floor, and I did not eat it. And it was a hundred percent because I was sitting with my staff <laughs> and their witnesses. I had been looking forward so much to it, and I kept kind of side eyeing it on my plate. I wonder if people remember where this piece of chicken came from. Hey, everyone, look there! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In a battle between a ninja and a pirate, who would win? 
Ninja. I mean, that unless is, it's in open water. It doesn't matter. But yeah, and just anywhere. this is just like a fight, like a you know, a Street Fighter Two style, like you know, they're in a Thai temple and it's one v the other. I'm I'm going ninja. You're wrong. That's um, insane. But I'll accept your it's Pirate only has one eye. He doesn't even have depth perception. He's, does he have two both legs or is he on a peg? It doesn't matter. The throwing stars? <laughs> Gun? Cannon? It's some sort of blunderbuss. It doesn't even shoot straight. Come on. <laughs> they just spray stuff everywhere. They don't even have to have good aim. Uh, I mean, a modern pirate probably taking it. Um, is it the light outside? It doesn't matter. It a pirate does, would win. The ninja's dressed in all black. Can't even see the ninja. I don't know. Pirate. That's, that's crazy. It would be the pirate. I don't know. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Oh my god, yes. Okay, a, I don't. I'm I just tangent a little bit about. I'm you eat whatever you want on a pizza. Yeah, but don't I don't get mad at me for eating pineapple on my pizza if I like it. Oh, I don't. I'm not. No, I'm not mad at you for it. I but just think pe- you're disgusting. That's fine. I don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I wish I loved every food. I'm annoyed if somebody <laughs> likes something I don't like. So I'm like, I want joy from that. Why don't I like mushrooms and olives? I don't know. I but love like, mushrooms. Yeah. My wife hates them, that's, which means I don't get them. And that's a bummer. Peanut butter you know? Yeah, you get cream <laughs> peanut butter and no mushrooms. Um, uh, people someone, like mustard pizza. You know what I mean? Like people get nuts with pizza. I don't know why pineapple t- has to be the battle line because to me it seems like a fairly like innocuous. It's not hard to avoid. And like there's people do all sorts of grosser things with pizza. Pineapple's yeah, like, it's just, it's pineapple. It's like someone, pineapple. someone sent me a hilarious meme about that recently where it was a piece of pizza laying down and a, a pineapple climbing on top of it, just saying, shh, no one has to know. <laughs> uh, what would the title of your biography be? Hmm. Can I write in it? Can I like write you an email with, a, with an answer? Sure. The problem but, with this is I love the question. And I want to give it due consideration. As a man of nuance, as <laughs> um, <laughs> a man of nuance, that's that's a title. Um, I want. I really want to give a good answer, and I don't want to, you know, just have only mustache jokes to live on. That's all keeps um, popping into my head, like mustaches and whiskey, or just like, like a mustache <laughs> ride off into the sunset, something like that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who would play you in a movie about your life? Um. I think it's going to be Billy Irish's debut acting role. <laughs> what popped into my head was a thinner Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, amazing. I mean, he could get into character for pretty much anyone. I feel like that could be an answer for anyone. Um, who who do I, I like? I get compared to a uh, Carrie Yules from time to time. I don't know who that He's, is. He's uh, the As You Wish from... Uh, Princess Bride. Oh, yes. And Robin ah. Hood Men in Tights. So that's the answer. Incredibly yes. flattering. Also, but now I'm getting a lot of David Harbour uh, I also as we share. It, it's crazy that he's I the cop popper from I'm... Stranger Things. Oh, yes. Um, yep. So, also. So then somewhere or somewhere in that range. Um, maybe a, a, they'll have to de age m- them a little bit. Mashing them together and then you have Max. Yes. Their, their <laughs> love child, I think, yeah. will play me in my later years. Um, did these out of order and now I'm like completely lost on what I should ask next. Uh, how do you feel about garden gnomes? I I don't trust them. Name a famous person you would love to meet. Uh, alive or dead or either. 
Either. Whatever. Um, hmm. I think, you know, I think I'd like to hang out with uh, Steve Martin, probably my, my kind of comedy hero. I think I'd like to, I think it's got to be, be like a funny person probably because yeah, I want to have a good time. I'm not trying to like do a 60 minutes interview with Obama or something, <laughs> uh, which would be awesome. I mean, he's funny enough, um, but I, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Steve Martin here. Um, yeah. I, I would want to hang out with um, Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. That would... I, I, could you even like ground a conversation with, you know what I, I mean? Or you just keep, sit there and you're just like, what is it? What's happening? I think that would be the case. Yeah, it'd you be us. Yeah. You're just there. You're along for the along, ride. Yep. Yeah. Along got, for the mustache ride. Nice. A Max Lentz story. <laughs> there you go. That's, <laughs> that I think what answered. <laughs> um, I, I saw him live. It it was on the Dave Attell Up All Night tour, dude. That's cool. Where it was it was Dave Attell, Louis Black, Mitch Hedberg, and then like a couple other like opening comedians. I was in severe pain from laughing that night. Yeah, yeah, he's a genius. I mean, what a he was definitely a loss because like yeah, I can't even imagine how popular he would be now. Who knows? It's always hard to That's hard to, I always like feel that. like you never know what's going to happen to somebody's kind of career voice true, and, and how Lewis much lasting. Black, Lewis Black was huge at that point right. too. And what's he doing? And now? who? Yeah. So who <laughs> knows? But I will say whatever his gift that he gave to the world is was a uh, irreplicable. He was his own its own thing, which is really cool. Is Nickelback a good band? Negatory Ghost Reiner. <laughs> if you were a wrestler, what would your walkout music be? You know, I used to think it was going to be Shake Hands with Beef by Primus. Um, and I haven't really thought about it since then. So we're going to go so with Shake, Shake Hands with Beef by Primus. <laughs> have you watched the show Beef on Netflix? I have. Yeah. I, my wife and I watched the first episode and we're like, this show is so stupid. Why do people like this? And we quit like with 15 minutes left. And then like, last night we were we were like, all right, people keep saying how great this is. Let's power through the first episode. My God goodness does that show get good we stayed up way later than we okay, should have good. yeah because it was like finally like we're nodding off and it was like after seven episodes we yeah. went to bed it's great it uh it stays with you that one and it's a good show it causes me anxiety it does because but- like shows where every character at any moment makes the wrong decision, just like, yeah. And you want to root for both basically everyone in the show, except everyone's kind of a terrible person who you're, who you're rooting (laughs) for in real ways. But it's like, it's like you start rooting for them. And then the next episode is about why they suck. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It was great. I I think about that show. I've I've thought about it since I finished it a lot more than my average show at, at the pace we're at. I imagine we will finish it tonight. Awesome. If you were having a plumbing issue, who would you hire, Mario or Luigi? Player one, baby. Mario? Yeah. Did you see the Super Mario Brothers movie? No. It's pretty good. I believe it. It's good. I, I find... I've seen the original. That one was not good. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I'm hiring it's, Robert De Niro from Brazil. I think he's actually yeah. the plumber I'm going with. The... um. Movies like that are always so interesting review-wise. So like on Rotten Tomatoes, it is like 98% fresh by audience. Yeah. And it's rotten by 
movie reviewers. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> if it's not rotten, were, it's like 50 It's just something. normal, yeah. Well, there's something about, I don't know. There's there's a whole, it's a whole funny thing, the, well, the think, fresh first normal. Yeah. It, it's like not just an aggr- like a score aggregate. Critics will often um, talk down on movies that are just like nostalgia dopamine hits. Or like right. fan service, and right. that's what it is. But or for kids, my, both of my kids loved it. I loved it from because because you I'm are you're gonna have to go to a lot of movies where you're not gonna have any. Yeah. Early. So like, I'm glad they did. It seems like one that a that a parent can enjoy. So for all of my uh, parent friends, and I am not one, uh, I'm glad it's out there. I, I liked the Lego Movie a lot, which Lego I thought that had some real too. substance underneath. It's a you know two hour ad. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> very still funny because yeah. my kids wanted every Lego movie Lego go. set. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, Kevin Smith movies are very much like that too. The, like, like at least like the newer ones, they're one hundred percent fan service. So I yeah. love them. But like, like Clerks Three, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But they get torn apart by anyone that isn't happy. But with also just fan service. His movies have been torn apart. Yeah, from, from when they weren't fan service. Yeah. yeah, it's like I'm sure I don't know what. Can you imagine what the Rotten Tomatoes score of you know, like yeah. oh. Chasing Amy was going to be or something? Who Which knows? is one of his best. Oh, Mallrats uh, was. I think yeah, Mallrats. Mallrats panned, is the right? that that one has the worst reviews. In fact, there's a deleted scene from Chasing Amy where when Brody and the other guy uh, go to buy their the second ed- edition of their comic. Yeah, they go up to buy it and the at the cash register the guys the dialogue is almost word for word a review of mall rats just oh, like tearing it tearing yeah, it apart good, good. like about their the second issue yeah. of their comic and then they walk outside and they throw a brick through the window and he was like call the cops he's like no like there's a check, there's a blank check on the brick, and it says, "P.S. I'm rich, asshole." It's <laughs> uh, funny. It's funny. I, uh, I'm a dogma guy myself when it comes to Kevin Smith. I love dogma because it was it was filmed in Pittsburgh. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, as my home, but they they tore that church down. It doesn't exist anymore. Oh, that's a bummer. It was, yeah, it was torn down shortly after it was the filmed. Same, I think same reason I liked Sidekicks as a kid. It was filmed in Houston, which is where I grew up. Nice. I don't know if you were a Sidekicks guy. <laughs> I vaguely, I can't. All oh, that was the karate. Like yeah, it was a, Chuck Norris. Yeah. <laughs> I was not a sidekick fan. <laughs> I can't remember what there was. Chuck Norris recently posted something that was a Chuck Norris joke. Joke. Yeah, like the t- nice full circle. So then that created a new Chuck Norris meme where it says, "Everyone be afraid." Chuck Norris has become self-aware. <laughs> Pizza or tacos? Uh, tacos. Flats or drumsticks? Flats. Correct answer. What is the scariest movie you've ever watched? Sidekicks. <laughs> In retrospect, sidekicks. <laughs> the scariest movie I ever watched. Um, I love scary movies, and I am so thrilled with the resurgence of non-slasher, like. Like psychological uh, thriller. Well, just like of? support of slightly more artistically driven um, things that are really supposed to be scary. So like 
more scary than like Jeepers Creepers and Mimic. And like before that, we had like the whole Chucky, Jason, Freddy Krueger yeah. like era of things. So, uh, you know, Hereditary was good. I just saw, um, what was the new one that uh, Barbarian was awesome. Um, Barbarian really got me. I don't know if you've... I haven't seen that, but I, I know what, what you're talking about. Barbarian was really good. Um, you know, the first Paranormal Activity movies uh, were pretty yes. effective. Uh, those were really cool. There's been a lot of good... I think the last 15 years has had a lot of hits, so um, can color me a, a fan of the genre. But Barbarian there's, was the last best one I saw. There's been a huge resurgence in horror in general. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, Knock at the cabin door was not. Was that the name? I don't think that's the exact something name like that. It. It I, was a, I did not see it. It was not yeah. good. It was a huge disappointment. My daughter, my my thirteen year old, is huge into horror yeah. stuff. Cool. I so that's cool. I don't know. It's, it's dark. Eh, it's probably cool. Um, so we watched that, and it was it was definitely the most disappointing M Night Shyamalan movie. Which is saying because he something. kept sitting there waiting, like, "What's the twist? What's the twist?" There was, there was never a twist. The twist is there <laughs> is no. Twist. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I think I got them all, at least all the important ones. <clears throat> oh, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yeah. If there's Christmas music playing in the background the whole time, that's all. Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say like that's just the barometer. If a Christmas song is played, yes, no, it's a Christmas it's just, movie. <laughs> there's a million reasons it is. I mean, it's a. I wouldn't say it's a family Christmas feel-good movie about Christmas. Yeah, it's definitely not feel-good. But Christmas is woven throughout the whole movie. Uh, In the same way that Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is a Thanksgiving movie. <laughs> Even though it's about the destination, it's about getting to yeah. your family for Thanksgiving. Die Hard is about, in fact, getting your family back for the holidays. As a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, well, there was a professional professional wrestler phase... Um, is that the only thing I wanted to be? I, there's, there's some weird ones. Um, I, was, I think we'll go with professional wrestler. <laughs> my, uh, my six, my seven year old last night basically went through like every stage of my life asking me what I wanted to be at that age. And then she's like, well, then what did you become? <laughs> Entertainer. It, well, then I was like, well, I, electronic engineer, no dad. <laughs> What do you do now? I was like, I work in IT. She's like, no dad with beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I get, uh, oh, uh, the, one more. You're taking a three day trip. How many pairs of underwear do you pack? What am I doing? Oh, it's a I took day a trip. I took a three day trip to Utah to do a 50 mile hike last year with my brother and sister through a wilderness. Well, that's a very specific yeah. two pairs. It's an old, you know, you got to pack ultra light. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like, taking, that's a very specific, yeah. uh, different circumstance. Probably three, but I'm probably coming home with a clean pair. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and on that note, uh, thank you so much for your time today, Max. Thanks, Chris. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.